this is, as you know, Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of what's called Holy Week, the run-up to Easter. And so I'm going to read um, the scripture that describes Jesus arriving at Jerusalem. And it's in Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to talk about Jesus. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let me just read that little verse again from Zechariah, the quote from Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So um, the way things tend to work in our culture is, as much as we can anyway, we tend to make other people run around us, uh, if we're in a position where we can do that. So I don't know if you've ever uh, begun a relationship where the other person is a lot more into you than you are into them. Um, but when you're in a position like that, most of us like to milk it. Uh, they send five texts, we might send one text back. We make them do the legwork, we make them do the running. Um, if you've ever been in a position where you, you're a boss and there's a new employee, you might try the same thing. They come to you on your terms, because that's how it works. And uh, over the last year, we've seen many new prime ministers get appointed. And always what they do is they go to the palace. They go to Buckingham Palace, obviously to see the queen and now to see the king. And uh, in, in, in those instances, obviously, really, the prime minister has the power now. But it's symbolic of what used to happen. The person with the power beckons those who haven't got it and they come to them. And one of the things that really uh, strikes me about every other world religion is that it's effectively, this is how it works. You can get to God, you can come to him if you go through this eightfold process or you follow these five laws or you obey these four principles. You can get to him if you do that. But Christianity doesn't say that. What Christianity says is that the king has come to you. The king has come to us. He's left, as we just sang, his throne of glory. Uh, and he's come towards us. And we have to remember and understand and remind ourselves that he has come a long way to get to us. Um, think, of, think of great journeys. You know, for you that might be the commute at rush hour, which takes a lot longer than it, you feel like it should. Uh, it might be the journey over to America that Columbus took when he, when he discovered it for the first time. It might be the journey to the moon. But whatever journey you can think of, his journey to get to us was a whole lot further. He had to travel a lot more distance. 
And um, think about it like this. Imagine someone brings a proposal to you and they have two pills and they say, you can take this pill in my left hand, the blue pill, and if you take the blue pill, you will become like one of the Avengers. You will have superpowers. You'll be able to fly. You'll have super strength. You can control people with your mind. And then they offer you the other pill in the right hand, the red pill. And they say, if you take this pill, you will become a mouse. And you will just, you know, you won't have hands anymore. You have tiny little paws and you'll shrink down to being a little mouse with a tail and you'll run around squeaking. Which pill are you going to take? We're all going to take, of course, the one that gives us the superpowers. Why? Why? Why would we do the other one? We would never do that because nobody ever wants to get weaker. Nobody ever wants to become smaller. We all want to get bigger and stronger. And yet what God the Son does in this moment is he chooses to make himself weaker. He, 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 he gives up the fact that he is always everywhere, God the Son, and he becomes a tiny little baby. That's what he's choosing to do. He comes to us, and, and let us never forget that the being we are talking about here is the one who spoke, and giant balls of burning gas, the stars that are a million, million times the size of our planet, just came into existence. He spoke and they came into being. And this one, this being, this God, he becomes the equivalent of a mouse. And it's not just that he stoops down because God becomes a person. It isn't just even that. It's that uh, if I were in his position, I would be like, okay, I'm going to become a person. But I'm going to go from the throne of heaven to a throne on the earth. I'm going to go from this palace to, you know, uh, you know, it's not as nice, but like another palace on earth. I'm going to become the equivalent of Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, a billionaire, someone with bodyguards and protection where everything is done for me. But he comes far lower than that. He doesn't just leave the throne of glory. He becomes, uh, he goes to a cradle in the dirt. He, he leaves the palace of heaven where he's adored by 10,000 times 10,000 angels to be born into a stable where he's surrounded by a couple of shepherds from down the road and some animals. That's how far he travels. And what we mean when we say that the king has come to us is to really get that. What we mean is that the God of heaven, the king comes, the Lord of glory comes to a Samaritan woman by a well. He sits there next to her. This woman who's had five husbands, the man she's now living with is not her husband, she's got no friends, and he reaches out to her. He goes to her. When we say the king comes, think about this. What we mean is that he comes to a leper. And in those days with leprosy, you had to socially distance for always. You couldn't be near another person. If you went near, another person came near to you, you'd have to call out saying, I'm a leper, you've got to get away from me. And the king comes to him. And when he comes to him, one of these lepers, they say to Jesus, hey, uh, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response to them isn't just to speak and heal them, it's to touch them. I am willing. I've come to you. He comes to us. When we say the king comes to us, what we mean and what we're talking about is that he comes to Zacchaeus, this tax collector, the one everybody hated because he's collecting taxes on behalf of the enemy. Everybody despises this guy and there he is up a tree and Jesus, the living king, the one who's come, he looks at Zach up the tree and he says, hey Zach, I'm gonna come to your house today. I've come to be with you. 
And for me, as I ponder this, what I have to remind myself of is that he has come to me. Not me when I'm sorted, not Andy on a good day. Andy at his worst moment, on his worst day, the king comes to me. He comes to find me. And if you're part of this church, or if you just turned up here this morning, or you're watching online, one of the things that we've all got to understand about the good news of Jesus is that he comes to us in our shame. He comes to us in our weakness. He comes looking for us. This is the kind of king that we're following. And um, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he will not quit. He keeps coming. So there's a moment in the story, I didn't read it, but where Jesus comes over the brow of the hill of the Mount of Olives and he sees Jerusalem. And we're told when he sees Jerusalem, he weeps. He breaks down in tears over it. And then the crowds are all shouting and they're welcoming him and they're shouting his name. But by the end of the week, they're all shouting, crucify him. That's how fickle human admiration can be. And, uh, and everybody's calling for his death. And all the way through, you see the consistency of Jesus, the perseverance of Jesus, a perseverance born of love, a perseverance that flows from a heart of compassion and a heart of healing and a heart that wants to redeem. And he keeps going. He keeps going through the tears and he keeps going through the cheers and he keeps going through the jeers and he's coming for you. Uh, I, I heard this story just this week by an American pastor who talked about how when he was growing up, he loved, he was a big baseball fan and he loved the Chicago Cubs. That was his team. That was where he lived. And he said there was one afternoon when he was about 10 years old where uh, his mum picked up the phone and it was the next door neighbour. And the next door neighbour said, hey, there's, there's a Chicago, one of the stars of the team, this guy called Randy Hudley. I've never heard of him, but like this guy, Randy Hudley, is, is in our house and he wants to come next door and meet little Johnny. And, um, and the mum who answered the phone had no idea who Randy Hudley was. She thought he was one of his friends from school. So she just said, I'm so sorry, little Johnny has a piano lesson. Randy can come over and play tomorrow, right? And put the phone out. And then little Johnny gets back from his piano lesson and his mum mentions, oh, by the way, you know, like next door neighbor said this guy called Randy Hudley wanted to come over to your house, but I told him you had a piano lesson. At which point Johnny realizes what has happened and is utterly devastated. And he said he went into a deep depression as a 10-year-old for the rest of the afternoon. He wanted to call his mum. He wanted to call social services and get his mum removed. But he said, I, wasn't, I didn't know the number. And so anyway, it all goes really badly wrong. And then later on, he said, five o'clock that afternoon, there's a knock at the door. And he opens the door and he said, there standing in front of him was Randy Hudley. And he said, I beheld him in all his glory. And Randy, he came into the house and he sat with him for about an hour and he talked about baseball with him and stuff like that. And he actually, Johnny found out that Randy had been off somewhere else speaking at something and was on his way home. And just before he went home, he thought, Do you know what? It's out of my way, but I'm going to go back to that kid's house and I'm going to see if he's there. When, when John opened the door, he said, Randy said to him, I didn't want you to take it out on your piano teacher. And um, little Johnny said, as he, as he sat there with Randy, you know what? The glory of Randy Hudley was not that he had an incredible throwing arm and that he was this phenomenal baseball star. The glory for him was that this guy, busy as he was, as important as he was, 
he made time for little Johnny. He came knocking on his door. Do we understand the gospel? Because what it is, is that the king of kings came knocking on our door. Your king has come to you. He's come to you. To do what? Well, uh, as Jesus rides in, all the people start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And I always thought that that word Hosanna meant yippee or hurrah or something or praise him. You know what it means? But do you know what it means? Save us. They're shouting, save us. And what they have in mind when they're shouting it is they're imagining a military victory. They're, they're, they're an occupied country, the Romans are in charge, and they're waiting for a ruler to come who's going to come and throw off the, the, the Roman power, who's going to defeat them. So they're saying, save us, save us, and that's what they mean. And you know, I don't know if you've ever met anybody who's great at giving gifts, but my brother is one of these people. One of the things I love about his presence is he asks me what I want, and I always name something like some trainers or whatever, I don't know. Um, and uh, he never gets me what I'm asking him for. He always gets me something loads better. And I never even would have known that was a thing. Uh, and then it turns up at my door. Well, God is a little like my brother in that respect. We say savers. And what we have in mind is it looks like this. It looks like a military victory. It looks like overthrowing the Romans. And he gives us something. And it's something totally different and infinitely better. And Jesus the King has come to us and he's come to save. But the way he's going to save is different. So um, what he does, because there's another time where they try and make him king by force and he slips away. What he does this time, he's not going to slip away, but he, he tries to communicate to them what sort of a kingdom he's building and the type of king he is. So this, this is basically a living parable. So what, what conquering kings would do in those days when they went into a city is they would ride in on a horse the biggest, baddest, meanest war horse they could find. They'd saddle it up, they'd get on the back of it, they'd start the engine, and they would ride into the city. And it was their way of saying, here I am to lead. Here I am to take charge. Jesus, and we see how deliberate he is in this move. This is orchestrated. He says, go looking in this particular area, he gives them the address, and he says, find me a baby donkey. I'm going to ride in through the crowds on a baby donkey. This is absurd that he's doing this. And it would be a little like uh, we have a coronation that's around the corner, you know, some point in May. And I don't know what the king will be riding in on his way to the abbey, but it probably will be something like a golden carriage, right? And he'll probably have a whole load of horses pulling him along. Um, there'll be all the pageantry and all of that stuff. But can you imagine if we turn on the BBC on the bank holiday and the, the program sort of begins and you see these crowds, it's like a drone shot from the sky and there's thousands lining the streets and then you see all the soldiers and all the military and all the sort of like, you know, the, the dignitaries and all of that sort of stuff. And then finally it pans round to Charles himself and he's riding on the back of a sheep. Can you imagine something like that? We would be the laughing stock of the world, right? And, and this is that. It's, the, it's not even a donkey. It's a baby donkey. It's a little baby that he's borrowed. He doesn't even own the baby donkey. He's riding on a borrowed baby donkey into Jerusalem. What point is he trying to make to us? What he's trying to show us is that the way he is going to be victorious, 
the way that he's going to win is through his weakness. He hasn't come as a military leader to take power and to kill others. He's come as a gentle king to give up power and to allow us to kill him. He's a gentle and a lowly king. And when we hear that, let us never think that he's weak. He's gentle in the way that if a lion were to walk in here and nuzzle you, we might say, wow, that's a gentle lion. He's gentle in that sense. It's not a lack of strength. It's a restrained strength. He chooses not to use it. And as he journeys towards the coronation that is going to be happening at the end of this week, let us understand why he comes. He doesn't just come, this important, glorious, magnificent, majestic, beautiful Savior, to sit with us, to talk to us, and to dignify us by that. What he comes to do is to die instead of us. Have you ever heard of a king like that? I thought the way it worked is we died for them. But the way it works in him and with him is he gives himself for us. And it is called the beautiful exchange. The great swap at the heart of the gospel. And it's this, right? He comes for a coronation and we give him the crown that we deserve. And it's a crown of thorns. And he takes it on his head in order that he might give us the crown that he deserves, the crown of life and the crown of righteousness. And I heard a story, it's really, really twee, but for me it helps me understand the cross, so I'm going to share it anyway, right? And this story is that it's like, I remember hearing somebody say, imagine you're at the father's house and you're playing at the father's house and then you want to go outside to play. And he says, all right, you can go outside, but you need to know that there's no mud allowed in this house. In that sense, he reminds me of my wife. There's no mud allowed in this house. So if you go outside, you make sure you don't bring any mud back in. And let's say you go outside and uh, you just have a nice time. It's springtime and stuff like that, but it's just been raining. And you see this massive, massive muddy puddle. And you have watched, for those of you who've watched Peppa Pig know that, you know, muddy puddles are a lot of fun. If you haven't, you will one day maybe. But uh, you see this giant muddy puddle and you think, gosh, that does look fun. And you think, I oh, know I'm not really meant to, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And you throw yourself into this muddy puddle and you're just having the best time in there. And then finally it's getting towards dinner and you think, oh man, I've got to go back to the father's house. So you, you kind of leave the muddy puddle and you're on your way back. And then as you're arriving back, you suddenly, it hits you, no mud allowed. And you look down at yourself and you are caked in the stuff. And you think, what am I going to do? I'm not allowed in. I want to go in, but I can't get in. And then Jesus pokes his head around the door. And he looks you up and down. And he comes out down the garden path and he looks at you and he says, wow, you really are covered in mud, oh my word. And you look at Jesus and his clothes are dazzling white. Whiter than any washing deodorant or whatever it is, detergent, could, could make them. You know? And he says, do you know what? I've got an idea. Let's switch clothes. And he actually says, do you know what? Dad sent me because we thought this would probably happen. And so you do a swap. And you go in, in his clothes. It's actually not mud, it's, it's selfishness. 
and its brokenness and its mess. And we look at it and we think, I know I probably shouldn't, but we go for it anyway. And then we come to him and in his majesty, my word does this increase his glory, not diminish it. In his majesty, he comes to us and he, the king, takes off his royal robe of righteousness and says, you give me your stuff, I'll give you mine. You, you take my crown of righteousness and I'll take your crown of thorns. As the king comes, the gentle king, as he arrives in the city, they shout and they cheer and they celebrate. And they're celebrating somebody they think is bringing a military victory. How much more then should we shout, should we celebrate, should we dance for joy now and always in the king who has won for us through his own sacrifice, through his own life, eternity with our Father. There's never a reason not to rejoice in our King.